KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. It's time for Midday Edition on KPBS. Today we are talking about arts and culture around San Diego, plus how to make friends and movies to be thankful for. I'm Jade Hindman. Here's to conversations that keep you informed, inspired, and make you think. A new exhibit displays the art of food. I love food that's in books or movies and songs as a backdrop as much as I love like really intentional art about food, like food writing or food shows. Um, and this exhibit is one of those things where the art is very intentionally about food. Plus research shows human connection is good for our health, so we'll talk about maintaining friendships and our movie critics talk about the movies they're thankful for. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. For our weekend preview, we have some visual art about food, some holiday lightscape installations, an all-girl punk rock band, and a cult classic film screening. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. So let's start with some music. The Linda Lindas are an all-girl, all-teen punk rock band out of Los Angeles, and they're playing at the Observatory on Sunday. What can we expect? Well, the Linda Lindas, they're a band that they first got on a lot of people's radars when they opened for Bikini Kill in Hollywood in 2019. But it wasn't until a couple of years later when um, they filmed a song at the Los Angeles Public Library. Um, it was their song, Racist, Sexist Boys. And it was part of the, the library's Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month program. And the song went absolutely viral. A little while before we went into lockdown, a boy in my class came up to me and said that his dad told him to stay away from Chinese people. After I told him that I was Chinese, he backed away from me. Eloise and I wrote the song based on that experience. So this is about him and all the other racist, sexist boys in this world. And the Linda Lindas also returned to the LA Public Library to film their NPR Tiny Home Desk Concert, which is also definitely worth checking out. 
And their first album came out last year. It's called Growing Up, and this is the title track. They'll play at the observatory Sunday night with Illuminati hotties. It's an all-ages show, and the doors open at 7, and the show starts at 8. Sounds like it'll be a really fun show. Let's switch gears a bit and talk about food, or at least art that is about food. (laughs) So tell us what you know about this new exhibit at Mesa College Art Gallery. Yeah, it's called Cosecha. It's an exhibit about food. And I personally love the way that food is this universal lore, especially when it pops up in art. I love food that's in books or movies and songs as a backdrop as much as I love like really intentional art about food, like food writing or food shows. Um, And this exhibit is one of those things where the art is very intentionally about food. And as always, these exhibits at Mesa College Art Gallery, they're designed, curated, and installed by the students in their museum studies program. And the art in this exhibit ranges from sculptures, paintings, even edible sculptures, and performance art about food. Some of the artists are Maggie Shen, Adele Gaburo, Cole Douglas, and more. There's 40 artists in total. There's a reception tonight, Thursday, from 4 to 7, but it's also going to be on view through December 14th. They'll have regular gallery hours Monday through Thursday from noon to 5. And there's also a big parking lot. It's Lot 1, and they have pay stations, and that's right next to the art gallery. But if you do go on the night of the reception, parking is free. Wow, that sounds interesting. And and that's not all. There's more, right? Right. So while we're still on visual art, there's a show that is still on view at Bread and Salt. It's this huge group show called The Last Group Show. And there are hundreds of artists involved, hundreds and hundreds of works of art. They're crowded on the walls. It is quite a sight. And while you're there, on view at Quint One, which is also inside Bread and Salt, is this single work of art by the iconic artist Robert Irwin, who was part of the light and space movement, and he just passed away last month. That work is called Blue Lou 2, and it's this series of vertical fluorescent bulbs wrapped in colors. It's, it's a beautiful display of light, color, and shadow. Wow. Those are both interesting options for visual art. Also, one contemporary dance company will take the stage for their annual fall showcase. What's unique about this year's production? So first of all, it's called Five Women Choreographers, and it features what they're referring uh, to as three generations of women choreographers, like Betsy Rowe, who was one of the founders of, of the first modern dance company in San Diego. And there's also some newcomers, as well as work by Litvak Dance founder and artistic director Sadie Weinberg. And the other thing to know about the show is that the company, Litvak Dance, they have been 
performing regularly since 2018, they're going on a performance hiatus after this weekend's shows. So Weinberg had said that she wants to step back and take stock of not just what the company has done in these past years, but where they're going in the future, but definitely a promise to return. So definitely don't miss these performances. There are four shows throughout the weekend, 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock on Saturday and 2 and 5 p.m. on Sunday. And these will be at the San Diego Academy, and that's in Encinitas. And tonight, local theater company Backyard Renaissance will open a production of a Pulitzer Prize-winning play. Right, and it's about math. Ah. <laughs> this is David Auburn's play, Proof, which uh, it won the Pulitzer and the Tony in 2001 for Best Play. It follows this young mathematician, her name is Catherine, who she's troubled and she spent the last couple of years caring for her her genius mathematician father who had, who had recently passed away. And in the mess that he left behind, there's some notes about a new proof. A mathematical proof. And Catherine, who's spent her life kind of in in her father's shadow, she has to work with one of her father's PhD students who she's falling in love with uh, to kind of finish that work. Um, This show is at 10th Avenue Arts Center in East Village downtown, and it's on stage tonight through December 9th. And it's also the closing weekend of the California Festival of New Music. What are some of the concerts happening to wrap things up? Yeah, so just a quick rundown because there's so much going on. There's um, cellist Elisa Weilerstein. She's playing an installment of her long-range project. It's called Fragments. That's at the La Jolla Music Society. So this is a project that she has commissioned 27 new compositions to kind of intertwine and and perform alongside all 36 movements of Bach's solo cello works. And this this performance is, uh, is an installment of that. And then on Friday night at Bread and Salt, the Inset Trio will perform, and they are focusing on the medium of the cassette tape. There's also a couple of big performances at The Shell from the San Diego Symphony. That's Friday and Saturday night. They'll have some newly commissioned music alongside Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, which was shocking when it was first premiered. And Art of Ilan will hold a special, it's a conversation and performance with artist Danielle Dean at the Institute of Contemporary Art. 
their North Campus in Encinitas. So that's not only a great opportunity to catch some music, but it's also a chance to check out Danielle Dean's exhibit. And there's a ton more. There's mainly Mozart, Camerata, Young Artists in Harmony, more from Project Blank, and the Hausman Quartet. They're all going to round out the weekend in this pretty impressive California festival. All right. And there's a very special screening of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes on Saturday. What can you tell us about that? So this is a it's a cult classic, a parody from 1978, and it was mostly filmed in San Diego and Oceanside. The plot is basically that tomatoes become sentient and start eating people. There's this also the resulting government plot to to try to infiltrate and stop the tomatoes. It's it's incredible. <laughs> this will be screened on Saturday night at MOPA as part of San Diego Film Week, which is wrapping up this weekend. And our own KPBS film critic Beth Accomando will moderate a Q&A with the filmmakers after the screening. Before, there was a reception and an awards ceremony for San Diego Film Week at 5.30, and then the screening will actually begin at 7.30. All right. Sounds like a great event. Finally, we have our first holiday-themed event on the list. The San Diego Botanic Garden in Encinitas kicks off their annual Lightscape this week. So what is Lightscape exactly? So it's a bunch of festive light installations, and it's set up along about a mile walk that that goes around the San Diego Botanic Gardens. And these installations, they're site-specific, and they often play into the nature, the trees and the plants around around the lights. There's a, a set of lights that look like poppies or trees that are completely outlined with light. And of course, there's some good like photo backdrops, like this huge light tunnel that you can walk inside. There's also a concession stand where you can get snacks or dinner and some festive treats. There's hot chocolate or hot toddies. So it opens on Friday, and then after that, it's on view Wednesdays through Sundays, running through January 1st. But it is closed on Thanksgiving Day, December 24th, and December 25th. And tickets do tend to sell out for these, so plan ahead. All right. You can sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS arts newsletter at kpbs.org arts. There you can find details on these and much more arts events. I've been speaking with KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, thank you. Thank you, Jade. Still ahead, the art of making new friends and maintaining relationships. Find a group of people who are already doing something that you really care about or passionate about or curious about, interested in, and then join their thing. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Welcome back to Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. 
Thanksgiving is just around the corner, so we decided to call on our midday movies critics to discuss some films to be thankful for. Joining us again are KPBS cinema junkie Beth Accomando. Beth, welcome. Thank you. And movie Wallace's Yazdi Patavla. Yazdi, welcome. Thank you, Jane. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have talked about films to be thankful for in the past. So before we discuss the particular films you've selected, tell us what you're looking for in your choices today, Beth. Well, I decided that since there is a new Japanese Godzilla movie coming out at the end of the month, minus one, and there is going to be a new series based off of the American Godzilla movies that's going to start streaming and tapping into the MonsterVerse, I decided I wanted to look at monster movies that I am thankful for. So I love a good creature feature, and I'm very grateful for what monsters offer in terms of the awe and wonder and fear and even social commentary that they can offer. All right. And Yazdi, you know, we know you have trouble limiting your picks. (laughs) So what were you looking for in these selections? I always have trouble with my picks. But what I used this time for selecting my movies were two things. One is I picked movies that were released this year, which kind of went under the radar and need more championing. And these were also films that kind of made me ponder about things that I hadn't previously thought about. And I'm certainly thankful for both of those things. Yazdi, your picks deal with relationships, but in very different ways. Your first pick presents what you could describe as a very unusual love triangle, right? Yes. So Past Lives, which is uh, from first-time director Celine Song, is definitely a very different take on the relationships uh, or romantic movies genre. The film essentially examines two characters at three different points in their life. Initially, when the boy and the girl are little kids growing up together in Seoul, Korea, and the second time after her family has immigrated to North America and they are only able to contact with each other through social media. And then one last time, another 10 years later, when she's already happily married in New York and he finally has the ability to come visit her in New York. And here's a quick scene from Past Lives. He was just this kid in my head for such a long time. And then he was just this image on my laptop. And now he is a physical person. It's really intense, but I don't think that that's attraction. I think I just missed him a lot. I think I miss Soul. Did he miss you? I think he missed the 12-year-old crybaby he knew a long time ago. You were a crybaby? Yeah. Most of the time, he'd have to just stand there and watch me. And the film is about so many things, but mostly it's about what might have been, about what we leave behind when we immigrate. Being an immigrant myself, this really resonated for me because you kind of leave a portion of yourself behind when you immigrate. And when you build a new life in another country, you kind of form a different version of yourself and everybody you interact with, people, your friends, your spouse, only know that version of you. Whereas when somebody else from your past life comes visits you, they know that older version of you and how do you reconcile the two? So it's a very unsentimental, gentle look at, you know, how we reconcile different versions of ourselves. And it's so wonderfully, wistfully 
achingly well made. I just have tremendous love for this film. And the film is uh, streaming and available for video rental if folks want to check it out. All right. And Beth, you mentioned Godzilla, but um, he's appeared in dozens of movies over seven decades. (laughs) So is there one Godzilla film you're most grateful for? Yes, I will go with the original Gojira from 1954. Part of the reason is this is the first one. This is the one that introduced people to this creature that was created out of a radioactive blast. This came after the U.S. had dropped two atomic bombs on Japan, so it had a very strong kind of social commentary going on. And it introduced the world to what I think is one of the most iconic monsters ever. I think Gojira is the most appropriate film to watch right before Minus One. Minus One is not a direct sequel to any of the Godzilla films, but it is set after World War II. There's even a kamikaze pilot who's one of the characters. And again, this is in the aftermath of the U.S. dropping two atomic bombs on the country. So Gojira is a film that taps into similar thematic threads and I think will be really nice to watch in advance of that. Plus, Gojira has a really special place in my heart because he rose out of so much pain and suffering and anger as well as out of this really bold and imaginative creativity to create this creature. There is a suit actor. These are the people who put on these big rubber suits. And back in that first film, I think the suit weighed more than the actor did. It was like 200 Mm. pounds. And that was Haru Nakajima. And he gave us a Godzilla that had such a vivid personality that he was magnetic. And that character would morph over the years. Sometimes Godzilla was the monster that destroyed everything. Sometimes he was the defender of the planet. And I love the fact that he could morph and change like that. But it all starts here with Gojira, and I am forever grateful to the team of director Ashiro Honda, special effects genius Subaraya, and suit actor Nakajima for giving us this magnificent monster. Well, for a dramatic change of scale, we go from Godzilla to Yazdi's next pick, a very human-scaled relationship comedy. Yes, yes. My second pick, Jade, is the film You Hurt My Feelings, which stars uh, Julie Lee-Dreyfus and Tobias Menzies. And it asks the question as to what is our responsibility to our friends, to our spouses, to our family members? Is it to be truthful or is it to be supportive? You would say ideally both, but sometimes being truthful is completely at odds with being supportive. And here's a scene from the film where Julia Louis-Dreyfus' character discovers that her husband has not been entirely honest about his opinion of her new book. He doesn't love your book, okay? He doesn't love your book. I mean, who cares? Do you understand I've been working on this book for two years, Uh right? I've given him like a million drafts to read. And every time he reads it, every single time he tells me how much he loves it. Every single time! Because he just doesn't like you know, get it or whatever. And now my hands have gone numb. Yeah, for real. Okay, can you take a deep breath? I am breathing, Sarah. All right, would you just, you're gonna talk to him. Well, that's a joke. I am never gonna be able to look him in the face ever again. And that single event kind of breaks the trust between them and results in an implosion of their marriage. You know, the movie takes this one premise and examines all the characters in the periphery of this couple and ultimately is very kind in looking at 
you know, what we do with our best interests at heart. Like now I want to know, what did you conclude from it? <laughs> I conclude that we all lie all the time <laughs> to, keep, to keep our friends and family happy. And sometimes it's necessary to do that. Uh, you Hurt My Feelings segues nicely into your next pick, Beth, since both are set in New York City. Yes. So I am going to one of my all-time favorites. And my next monster movie to be thankful for is King Kong. And this is the original one from 1933. And it was created through breathtaking stop-motion animation to create King Kong. And that's part of the reason why I fell in love with it. And the animation was done by Willis O'Brien. And here's a scene where Robert Armstrong's Carl Denham is introducing King Kong to New York. And now, ladies and gentlemen, before I tell you any more, I'm going to show you the greatest thing your eyes have ever beheld. He was a king and a god in the world he knew, but now he comes to civilization, merely a captive, a show to gratify your curiosity. Ladies and gentlemen, look at Kong, the eighth wonder of the world. So King Kong is a film which... My love for it is not just about the movie. It's also about my memories of watching the film, because this is a film that my dad introduced me to. He's the one who endowed me with this love of movies my entire life. And so I can't think of King Kong without thinking about him. And he loved Kong. He sympathized with the monster. And I think because of that, it took me decades to realize that the reason I hated Fay Ray was because her character was responsible for Kong's death in my eyes. If she had just stayed in his hand or by his foot, the planes would not have come and <laughs> shot him. And so it took me a long time to appreciate her as an actress and not to just have this bias against her for killing Kong. So I love King Kong. And he's just such a magnificent beast, and it's so tragic at the end. This is one film. I'm not a crier at movies, mm -hmm. but I will cry at the end of King Kong no matter what. It breaks my heart. And I'm grateful for this film, and I'm really grateful for the fact that every time I watch it, not only do I get to fall in love all over again with King Kong, but it brings back these really warm, wonderful memories of watching movies with my dad. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> All right. Well, Yazdi, we've got a distinct change of tone for your last pick, which is currently in theaters, Anatomy of a Fall. Yes, Anatomy of a Fall is a French production. It won the top prize at Cannes this year, and by Jove, they got it right. This is a film which examines a situation where a husband, wife, and their visually impaired son are living in a chalet in Switzerland, and the husband falls to his death from the top level of uh, the chalet. And the entire movie is an investigation into what led to his fall. Did he commit suicide? Or perhaps was he pushed? And who might have done that? And so uh, the movie is a whodunit. It's a courtroom procedural. And as the movie advances, you realize it's less a procedural about who killed him than a procedural about the state of their marriage. And here's a scene from the film that sets up the premise of the wife becoming one of the prime suspects. So, as you can see, an accidental fall is going to be hard to defend, given the height of the window sill. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's an investigation for uh, more suspects uh, and your 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 uh, most suspicious deaths, yeah. yeah, and your témoin assisté because you were the only person there. Okay. 
and of course you, you his wife. And amongst the many, many questions the film asks is one, which is that if anyone were to surreptitiously record the most intense argument any one of us has had <laughs> with somebody else, and if that were to be showed in a courtroom, would we not each one of us seem like monsters without context? And it really kind of plays into how every marriage is messy and how every relationship <laughs> between a parent and a child is nuanced and complex. And it's very hard to judge, far harder even to figure out who might have done what. I, I think this is a movie that you watch and then you sit down with your friends and talk about it for hours. Well, you bring up this idea of monsters and a film that I am thankful for outside of this realm that we're talking right now, but Monster, which is yes. Corey Ida's new film that played just recently at the Asian Film Festival, is a film told in three segments where each one is a different point of view. Ah, like watching, Rashomon. Yeah, yeah, a little bit like Rashomon, but not specifically like one event. And the thing about that is it really asks us, if you only have a piece of information yeah. and you label somebody a monster, mm -hmm. like how accurate is that? And each time we see another layer of this story, we start to question our own like snap judgments that we were making at the beginning of the film. So this is a film that I really want to see, and I think it pairs well with that yeah. other film, Monster, <laughs> which ties into my like theme. It. No, it, it really does. But what's so bad about it is when you were talking about, you know, if if anyone saw a snippet of the most <laughs> heated argument <laughs> yes. you've ever had in, in court, and I should probably really re-examine my, because I'm sitting here thinking, have I ever even had an argument? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I can't say that it was that intense. I've never been that intensely like argumentative about anything. I'm thinking along the same lines, even if you've had an argument with a spouse or a friend where you're like, this really, really annoys me and I wish you would stop doing it. And you know, I, I really can't take this from you anymore. And if that person happens to die, it suddenly puts you in a bad light, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, that that's true. That, that part is true. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, Beth, your final pick looks at zombies and one zombie in particular. Yes. So my favorite zombie of all time, and zombies are frequently looked upon as monsters, but my favorite zombie of all time is Bub. And Bub comes from George Romero's Day of the Dead film, which is not played quite as often as Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. But this is a film set as the others in a post-apocalyptic world. And there's a group of scientists and military and p other people living in this underground bunker. And one of the scientists has decided that he wants to investigate what zombies are really all about. So he sets up a lab where he's dissecting these creatures. And initially you think, how can you possibly feel any sympathy for a flesh-eating zombie? But Romero is very clever, and ultimately what he does is he's making a kind of statement about, like, what are the lengths we go to to kind of discover something about another species or about something else? And can I do something that makes you even feel empathy for these creatures? And so this doctor at one point gives Bub, he's named this guy Bub, objects from human life, a phone, a book, and he explains what this process is trying to do. Uh, Bob's been responding so well lately, I've let him live. Well, is he alive or dead? <laughs> well, that's the question these days, isn't it? 
Well, let's say that I let him continue to exist. Hello, Bob. <laughs> Here are some toys for you. Some nice things for you to play with. You remember them from before. From before. <laughs> So I love Bub because he is often referred to as the first self-aware zombie. He's a zombie who is kind of starting to have this sense that what he is existing as is different than what he used to be. There's some sort of humanity just starting to come to the surface. And one of the reasons I love zombies is they're a perfect blank canvas for social commentary, but also they're perfect for reflecting our fears of being othered and also our very real fears of things like Alzheimer's and dementia, which allow us to look like ourselves, but be robbed of that like little spark of humanity that really makes us who we are. So I adore zombies <laughs> and Bub is at the very top of the list for monsters that I am thankful for. That is such an interesting take. And I think you've both given us all something to think about here with these suggestions and, and uh, picks. I want to thank our Midday Movies critics, Beth Accomando and Yasti Patavla. And join us next month as we do a year-end wrap to highlight some of the best films of 2023 as the award season kicks off into high gear. So thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you. That's our show for today. Roundtable is here tomorrow at noon. And of course, don't forget to watch Evening Edition tonight at 5 for in-depth reporting on San Diego issues. Also, if you ever miss a Midday Edition show, you can find the podcast on all platforms. Before we go, I want to thank the Midday Edition team, technical producers Rebecca Chacon and Ben Redlosk, art segment contributors Beth Accomando and Julia Dixon-Evans, producing team Juliana Domingo, Andrew Bracken, Brooke Ruth, Ariana Clay, and Laura McCaffrey. The music you're listening to is from San Diego's own Surefire Soul Ensemble. I'm your host, Jade Hindman. Thanks for listening. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.